Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Good morning. So good to see everybody. How are we doing? Good. Good. I'm preaching whether you're doing good or not, so <laughs> this is happening. So it really is good to see everybody here. And uh, for those of you who were like, um, man, forget this daylight savings time. I'm going to second service today. It is a man. It was rough. I don't know if it was rough on you guys. It was rough on me. I'm. Um, I didn't sleep well. Anybody have uh, less than three hours of sleep last night? Anybody? Ooh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Contest. Less than two hours of sleep last night. Oh, okay, okay. Who else? Anybody? All right, let's wrestle. Come on. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> so we're going to continue on uh, in this uh, uh, unfrozen series. I said last week that I used to, as a kid, hear, sometimes hear the, re- uh, the church referred to as the frozen chosen. And, uh, and we don't want to be the frozen chosen. We want to be church on fire, church with a pulse. Amen. And so as, as we strive to be the church that God has called us to be, and as we've been talking about, you know, kind of the theme for this year is spiritual maturity and, and what we can do to gain greater spiritual maturity. We don't want to be uh, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who are uh, sitting still in our faith any longer, stagnant in our faith any longer. Instead, we want to be moving closer to Christ. Let this be the year that we all draw closer to Christ and see our faith progress and move forward. Amen? And so as we do that... Um, uh, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that there are three primary relationships in our lives uh, where we kind of need to focus on <clears throat> um, drawing closer, maturing in our faith with Christ so that those relationships in our, in our lives um, improve and become God-glorifying. The first one is this series that we're in right now, our relationship with the church. And uh, we're going to be talking about that and, and how, why that relationship to us is so important. And, um, and then we're going to eventually uh, start talking about our relationship with the home, uh, our family, and that sort of thing, and then uh, our relationship with the world around us. And so, uh, but as we dive into this idea of, of, of why church is so important to us, <clears throat> I want to talk about, you know, we live in a very different world than what some of us used to live in, or de- and definitely what our, you know, parents, grandparents used to live in. Um, and it's just, it's just different. It's different in a lot of ways. I, I used to, if you went to uh, buy a home, uh, you would, the home you bought would have a, a big old, you know, front porch. And on that front porch, there might be rocking chairs or chairs or porch swings, something like that. And people would come home from work. They would pull up in their driveway or park in front of their home, go in, grab some dinner, and then spend the evening hours kind of out on the front porch. And all your neighbors were out on the front porch and you saw everybody and kind of yelling back and forth to each other and talking to each other. Uh, you were, everybody was kind of watching the kids play up and down the street, that sort of thing. Very communal in the way that we live. Nowadays, you go by home, the front porch has been replaced by what? The deck. 
Right, right. Everybody's, it's all about the backyard now. It's the deck. Now we drive up to our house. We hit the button, open the garage door. We pull into the garage. We shut the door behind us. Then we get out of our car. We never see a neighbor, never speak to a neighbor hardly. And we go in our house. We do our thing. If we want to relax it a little bit, we go out to the deck. We go out to the backyard, the garden area, whatever you call it. And we spend time out there, uh, surrounded by large privacy fences so nobody can see anything. And, and, and only, only those people who you personally invite over into that public space or into that private space um, really get to enjoy that space with you. It's not as communal as it, as it used to be. When I was a kid, very much different. You know, we, were, uh, we would come home from school and get anything we had to get done as quickly as we possibly could and run back outside and meet up with all the other kids in the neighborhood and just spend time playing wiffle ball and baseball and basketball and, you know, football and all kinds of stuff, just, just playing with all the other kids in the community. You know, so one, one kid would have a, a great tree house and we would all congregate to that yard and get up in that tree house. We, we would form a club. Anybody remember clubs as a kid? Like, like, like you, don't, you know, we don't have, kids don't really have clubs. Uh, it, it, now all that's been replaced with kids sitting in front of TVs with game controllers and a microphone and an earpiece, you know, uh, doing community with some guy who says he's a kid in Germany. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's totally different now. Right. And, and, uh, but it, 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 I'm not, I'm not bagging on, uh, the way things are or pining about old times. I, I, there's a lot about the modern world that I love that, you know, in terms of technology and advancement and, and uh, things like that, and you know, air conditioning is—I'm a big fan of that. And, and I mean, it's just—it's not all bad. That's not what I'm saying. But we have lost something, I think. We have lost something, and what we have lost is community. Community. Uh, Starbucks is a company that that zeroes in on this idea. Who here has ever worked for Starbucks? Anybody? couple of you maybe, um, if, if you've ever been an employee at Starbucks or if, or if you've read uh, any books about why, you know, the kind of how Starbucks structures their company, uh, they are selling community more than they are selling coffee. Uh, they, they, they really focus in on selling the idea of, of a communal experience centered around a good cup of coffee, right? Because they saw something that the church has seen for a very long time is that our society is severely hungry lacking of community we have kind of edged each other out of our lives through whatever through just the way things go or technology i mean we don't you don't even really shop we don't shop the same way we used to shop i mean used to unless if you grew up someplace like san francisco or or whatever you know a big urban area this is still uh you know relatively common where um, you know, little neighborhood markets and people are out walking around the streets and things like that. It's, it's, it's a little bit more communal. If you, if you come here from another country, um, you know, I've talked to so many people who, uh, you know, have, have been transplanted here from other countries where, um, large houses are not common. The kind of houses that most of us live in are not common. Instead, people live in little studio type apartments um, where, you know, an entire family, we're not talking singles, we're talking entire families crammed into little bitty tiny apartment spaces and nobody wants to go home and stay there, right? And so they all, they come home, they put their things away and then they are out. They are in the streets, they are talking to their neighbors, they're at cafes and things like that. And that's still alive in some urban areas. But for most of us, 
you know, if we want to do any shopping or anything, we, we don't even get out hardly anymore. We just simply get online and shop for the best price. And two days later, it's delivered to our door. The UPS guy doesn't even talk to us anymore. He just drops it on the, the thing and takes off. I'm sorry, Todd, I'm not bagging on you. And, uh, and so Todd really quickly regretted raising his hand. And uh, no, I love, I love my UPS man because he brings me good stuff. Um, and so, but it, that whole thing, it's just, it's just a different world. It's just an absolutely different world. And the church offers, we talked about this a little bit last week, the church offers a kind of community that nothing else in this world offers. And we need that sense of community. And the Bible zeroes in on this principle from the very beginning. From the very beginning, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. If you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you don't know where that is, it's like right after the table of contents, okay? <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. And so uh, in God's creation, you know, in the Bible's creation account of how God created the whole cosmos, the Bible gives us a, a seven-day creation order where, where it, uh, God, each day, each one of those days creates something different and continues to build up this cosmos. He creates light and dark, and, and, and at the end of the first day, he looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. And he creates other things. He cl- creates an expanse and sky and stars and moon and he looks at them and he calls them good and he creates animals and he looks at them and he calls he says this is so good and 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 then he looks and he creates everything oceans and land and and stars and the whole thing the whole creation you guys know what's in creation i don't have to go through the whole thing but he creates it all and he says this is good then he gets to the sixth day and he creates man he creates the first human a guy named adam and he looks at this and he doesn't say it is this is good he says this is very good. This is very good. God rests on the seventh day. He puts Adam in charge of um, creation, basically. He says, I want you to be the caretaker of all of this that I've created for you. God is in perfect communion with Adam. They walk together. I mean, they're in the garden and they walk together. In terms of a relationship with God, it's about as perfect as as it has ever been. And Adam is doing what he's told to do, go name, or, you know, give all the animals names and, and not like, you know, spot and that sort of thing, but, but like, that looks like a giraffe. Let's call that giraffe. And, and, and he's naming the different types of animals. And as he's naming all these animals, he's like, hey, that's a boy giraffe and that's a girl giraffe and that's a boy monkey and there's a girl monkey. And, and he keeps seeing all this stuff. And then God, well, Look at um, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It is not good that man should be alone. Now, a lot of times this verse is read at weddings and talked about in terms of relationship between a husband and a wife, and that's all well and good. It's completely proper to do that. But I think it actually goes a little bit beyond just the husband and wife marriage relationship, I think it's about the human condition that God is talking about. It's just not good for us to be alone. I want to point out something that's kind of subtly implied in this story that that I don't want you to miss out. God creates all of creation. He creates it perfectly. It is perfect. It's good. It's even very good. Perfectly walking in communion, that perfect 
uh, human to God relationship is going on. Uh, they, I mean, they're, I mean, it's everything is perfect. And this is before the first sin, before the fall of man and the fall of creation. God looks on his perfect creation and says, this is not good. This is not good. And in Christian circles, a lot of times it's kind of, you know, one of the cliches that, that, that people will say or that's sung about in songs sometimes is, is this phrase of there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. You know, a, a void in our lives that only God can fill. And if you try to get any person to fill that void, it's not going to work well for you. And, but here we're taught that the flip side of that coin is not only is there a God-shaped hole in all of us, there's also a people-shaped hole in us. There's a void in our lives that God himself chooses not to fill. That God looks at us and says, I I have created them, I've hardwired them as humanity to need community with one another, to need relationship with each other. And when we don't have that, things go wrong. Things go wrong in some really horrible ways sometimes. I mean, how many times have you heard of, you know, somebody uh, that was, you know, went on some sort of killing spree or a serial killer or something like that, and they're talking to his neighbors, well, he's a little bit of a loner. When we isolate ourselves from each other, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. This condition, I like to call it isolationitis. Isolation, isolation, and there's, there's a few things that happen when we isolate from one another. And the first one is this. We lose perspective. We lose perspective. We, we tend to, to have a just jacked up perspective on life. Uh, we don't see things as clearly as maybe everybody else around us that is in healthy relationships sees it. Uh, and, and, and we don't even see that we don't see it clearly, right? I don't know if you've ever been this person where... Uh, you've kind of got, or, or, or you know someone who has gotten, uh, you know, away from people, became a bit of a loner, isolated themselves from the crowd, and they get kind of so deep into their own thoughts and so deep into their own, you know, little personal bubble that they just can't see the world clearly around them. They just, they just can't see it clearly. It's like it's if, you, if you've got kids, um, you know, they're, a lot of times they, they, they will look at a situation and be almost completely unable to be repentant of a sin issue in their life because they just don't see that it's wrong. It's this maturity issue that hasn't kicked in in them yet. All they can think about is their own perspective and it makes sense for me. And I'm not sorry because it made sense for me. And, and it's not till maturity is gained that they can look back on that and see the the error of that thinking, you know, of, of relying on their own way of thinking instead of relying on the wisdom of others around them or the wisdom of God. And it's the same thing as true spiritually speaking. When we, when we isolate ourselves, our thinking just becomes jacked up. It just becomes jacked up. We're unable to process truth and falsehood. We're unable to process um, just kind of basic human function relationships. It, 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 we just become... We lose that perspective. We lose that perspective. The second thing that, that happens is, is this fear of intimacy will sometimes set in. 
Some people have kind of a natural fear of intimacy. But when you isolate yourself from the group and you uh, become comfortable being alone, um, then a lot of times that fear of getting close to someone or someone getting close to you starts kicking in and it, it can become almost crippling. And even when someone does break through to you and you start to build a relationship with somebody, what happens a lot of times is as you get closer to that person, you will self-sabotage that relationship and just it, because it's so much easier to blow up a relationship and walk away from it than it is to handle things in a healthy way for you because you've got these intimacy issues. Again, the same is true of us spiritually. You see people, um, you know, who, who will come in uh, to a church situation, a bit of a loner, and just completely unable to handle what should be healthy, beneficial relationships because that they're just crippled by that fear. The other thing that happens is, is this selfishness that kicks in. Selfishness. When you are isolated, all you can see is you. All you can see is life according to you. How, and so in, in the context of spirituality, in the context of, of, of being a Christ follower, when you isolate yourself from the church, from the other group of believers around you, then everything is about you. We talked about this in the last series about you know, maturity and maturing in our faith, that you know, one of those stages of, of maturity is being a spiritual child and, and the the benchmark or, or the how you recognize spiritual child is selfishness. Everything's about them. What can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this church? What can I get from God? They love God's stuff more than they love God himself. And it's just selfish. And fi- finally, actually, poor health. Poor health. When we isolate, this is, this is actually science, that medical studies have been done and have, have shown that the, uh, people who um, eat well, take care of their bodies, exercise on a regular basis, but are isolated, have no uh, significant relationships in their life, will their lifespan is about 10 years less than someone with poor habits that is sedentary, that um, eats junk food, that smokes, but is in good relationships with people around them, positive relationships. About 10 years less. The principle there. It's better to eat In-N-Out 4x4s with friends than kale alone, right? That's the principle. That's the principle. We need to be people who will reject this, this uh, not trend, it's not the right word, but this kind of desire that's within a lot of us to isolate ourselves from the group. Now, there's some of you in the room, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you're people, people. You, I mean, the idea of living life outside of good, positive relationships is so far from the way you think. I mean, you just naturally gravitate to people. People naturally gravitate to you. And then there are others of you that you tend to be loners. You tend to really avoid relationships. You may, may have one or two um, positive relationships in your life, but, but you tend to kind of be alone. And spiritually, there's this concept that's really popular um, that I've I've heard it and you've heard it if you've been around church people for very long. There's always going to be a few people who will, you know, who are down on church life, down on the church experience, and they will say things like, um, you know, well, first of all, you know, if we would just stick to the teachings of Jesus, if we would just stick to the teachings of Jesus, you know, after Jesus, you know, left, 
then this whole thing came, the disciples started the church, and it was downhill from then. If we would just get back to the core teachings of Christ, then we could avoid all this pain and nonsense that the church has brought to people and to the world and everything else. And there's a, a, that whole idea. The only problem with that idea, again, is the Bible. That, that's not the way the Bible teaches about church. In fact, the church has its foundations in Jesus, not in the disciples. That from in Jesus' ministry, he was establishing the church from the very beginning. There's a conversation he's having with the disciples one night, and, and uh, he says, you know, who, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you're, you're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and Christ's response to that is, you know, Peter, you are blessed. Because this information didn't come from men, but it came to you from God. And upon, you know, you you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my what? I'll build my church. He's establishing the idea of church there from the very beginning. And when he's teaching in Matthew about how to resolve conflict with other people, he says, says, if if, if there's a a brother or sister who has sinned against you, then you need to go to them face-to-face, one-on-one, and have a conversation with them about it and try to resolve it. If they are unrepentant and nothing changes, then you need to go grab somebody else to come with you and talk to them so that there's a witness about you having a conversation that can happen in the presence of a witness. If they still are unrepentant and they still won't, you know, deal with this issue, Jesus says, then take it before the church. Take it for the church. Again, right there in Jesus' teaching, he's establishing this this concept that if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to be a part of this larger group of people, this larger group of followers that we're going to call church. We're going to call church. Jesus, um, as he is just about to be arrested and crucified, tried and crucified, um, he spends some time in, in teaching and in prayer. Um, now, now if, if, you know, he knew what was coming. The Bible tells us Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew he was going to be arrested, betrayed, arrested, beaten, tried, crucified, die a horrible death. He knew all of this was coming. Now, if I'm Jesus and I know all of that is getting ready to, to land on me, I got to be honest, I'm praying some selfish prayers, right? I'm praying, God, you know, let's rethink this. Or I'm praying, please don't make it hurt. Right? I mean, I'm just, I'm being honest. Jesus, in those final moments for all this, before all this comes down on him, you know what he's praying for? He's praying for us. He's praying for us. Look at John chapter 17, verse 11. This is in the middle of, of his prayer. He says this, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know what Jesus is praying for? He's praying for all of us that we would have unity, that we would be one. That we would, you know, there's this whole concept in Scripture, and this lends itself to that concept that, that our God is uh, three in one, a trinity. He, God is manifested in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities, but one God. Don't try to understand it, just accept it. 
it, it, it'll blow up your brain, okay? It'll just blow up your brain. Three personalities, one, one God. One God. And Jesus, talking to the Father, one God says, make them one, even as we are one. Make them one, even as we are one. That Jesus' prayer for us, his whole design for us as followers of his is that we would be together, unified. There's, again, this kind of concept that if, if I don't really need church, I just need to try to be more like Jesus. I just need to try to be a better person. Just If I can just be more like Jesus. But the truth is this, that you cannot be like Jesus apart from the church. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you better back that statement up. That doesn't sound quite right. I I think I can be like Jesus apart from church. And I'm telling you, no, you can't. You will fool yourself. You can try to fool yourself, but you cannot be like Jesus apart from the church. Make them one, even as we are one. He goes on and he prays uh, in, in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Talking about his disciples. I'm I'm, I'm not asking just for these 12. I'm asking for everybody who's going to believe through them. That's us. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. You know, you know why one of the big reasons that, that he wants us to be one? Because when we are one and when we are unified and when we are loving each other the way we're called to love each other, when we're serving together the way we're called to serve, serve each other, when we're reaching out to the community and on point, on mission together, the way that we're called as a church to be and live out life together, when we do that, the world around us can see not us, but Jesus. What, the way we live life together as a church is a witness to who that Jesus is who he said he was. That's why it's so important that we get this unity thing right. Unfortunately, what has happened in uh, kind of modern church, and well, not just modern church, but church throughout the ages, has been you know, there's been a lot of ugliness and selfishness and infighting and division, um, you know, disunity and uh, just everything that the church was not supposed to be creeps in. And that's why we always have to be on guard against that sort of thing and deal with it quickly when it starts to happen because our witness is on the line. I'm convinced, and I know I'm new to, you know, relatively new to Dixon. We've been here six years now. Some of you have grown up here your whole life. It's a beautiful community. But I'm absolutely convinced that the reason the gospel has struggled in Dixon is because of this very reason. Lack of unity. Lack of unity. People don't want to tolerate it. They don't want to... So what do they do? They go to church somewhere else or they just avoid church altogether. I I, I stand proudly and and I say that I think the churches of this town are finally starting to get this right. And I think this is why we're seeing a resurgence of the gospel in Dixon right now. Why the church is starting to take off in Dixon. 
why people are starting to see I can go to church in my own town rather than driving somewhere else to do that because I think the churches are becoming more unified. And when that happens, the world sees it and they believe in Jesus. And that's what that's again, it's just beautiful that way. It's beautiful. We need to be people who are so committed to this idea of of unity and not isolating ourselves, but instead gravitating towards it. I, I know, it, I mean, especially if you tend to be a loner type person. I know it's really attractive to kind of think, I, I don't really need church, I can do this on my own. This is, this is what keeps lions fed, right? When herd animals get away from the herd, and then they get picked off, and, and the weak ones get picked off and everything else, and then there's a big feast, and it's a bloody, bloody mess. And the same is true spiritually. We have this enemy. The Bible says, uh, you know, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. And you know who he's going to devour? The isolated ones. The, the fact of the matter is, if, is, if you are avoiding church life, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are avoiding church life, there's an expiration date on your faith. There's an expiration date on your faith. You may be able to, to withstand you know, everything for a period of time, but I'm telling you, there's a day coming. You're going to hit the wall. And because you're isolated, you have nobody to lean on for support. You have nobody to encourage you, even when you don't know that you need the encouragement. You have no truth rarely spoken into your life and keeping you on track. If you are isolated from the church as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's an expiration date on your faith. That we are meant, designed, created to live in community with one another. And that goes for our faith as well. So what I want to challenge us all to do this morning is this. I want you to stop attending church and start belonging. There's some of you who have been Christians for years. You've been attending a church for years. And you're not growing in your faith. You're not maturing in your faith. You're kind of standing still. Maybe you know, you've heard uh, you know, a thousand sermons, you know, listened to a, a thousand different lessons and a thousand different songs. And I mean, you, you, you've got some head knowledge of what faith and life and all that kind of stuff should be. But because you're just showing up, you're just walking through the door, having a seat, bellying up to the spiritual buffet and blah, 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 and, and taking as much as you can and then walking out the door and never really connecting with anybody, never really belonging. You're just attending. You're not maturing. It's not doing you any good. It's not doing you any good. This is what I also know. Um, there are some of you right now that have been coming to church for a while, and when you first started here, you were like, wow, this is a great church, and you were right. Um, and <laughs> um, But because, well, you don't know this is why it's because, but this is why it's because. Because you have been attending and not belonging, now you're starting to feel a little bit disillusioned, and, well, I'm not really getting out of this church what I need to be getting out of it, and maybe I should go look for a different church. And Now, I'm not under any illusion that our church is, is right for everybody. That's why we have different churches, okay? But before you leave, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you in a growth group? Are you doing life with other people in this church? Or are you just showing up, 
than sitting on a hard chair for an hour or so and leaving? Are you on a service team? Are you serving together with other people in some way, either in this, in, in this community or within the context of our ministry here at Living Hope? Or are you serving with, in other words, are you with people in this church serving, doing life together, digging in the word together, making friends, building relationships? Are you doing any of that? Because this is what I know. You can, if, if you are feeling a little disillusioned, thinking about moving on, and you have not done those things, and you continue that same pattern wherever you fall next, after a little bit of time, you're going to have the same results because you're attending and not belonging. Does anybody here, if if you live amongst a family, does anybody here take attendance every night? Like, do you... Nod your head, yes. Um, Like, we don't take attendance at our family. I mean, you know, we, we get a general sense of who's there, you know? But we're not, you know, keeping track of attendance. Wow, you know. 20 days in a row, perfect attendance. Congratulations, you know, to one of our kids. You know, that, that we're not keeping attendance. We're not interested in attendance as a family. We're interested in, is there a sense of belonging amongst everybody in our family? Are they a part of the family? Do they contribute to what family should be? What is, what their, what is their role in the family? And, and are, are, they, are they a part? Are, do they belong? The same is true of church. We really don't care about your attendance. What we want is for you to belong. Because when you belong, you grow. If you're just sitting, you know, if you're just on the outside looking in, like I love, you guys hear me talk about this a lot, and it's so true. I love baseball so much. Like, like I cry thinking about baseball sometimes. <laughs> I really love baseball. I really love baseball. Not very many things make me cry. Baseball, movies about sports and movies about dogs. That's it. But I really love baseball. I, I'm a big A's fan, and uh, and I love going to the games. I I, I mean, it's, there's just something about being in the park, um, you know, and and being in the presence of of all the crowd and the, what's going on in the field. It's just it's just an awesome experience. I love it so much. Um, but I I'm just attending games. I have no illusion that I belong to the Oakland A's. <laughs> right? I, even though I, I did star in a movie about the Oakland A's once. <laughs> If you don't know that story, just watch Moneyball. I'm in there. Okay, so don't blink, though, or you will miss me. So um, anyway, I, I don't belong to the Oakland A's. They don't really know or really care that much about who I am or anything. I just, I just attend. I just attend. And you know what? If, if someday they sell off and move to a different city, um, yeah, I, I may not follow them anymore. Why? Because I don't belong, I just attend. If you're just showing up at church, just kind of ticking off a box of, well, I, did, I served God. This, okay, this is really weird, by the way. If your idea of serving God is going to church, you are screwed up. <laughs> That's not serving God. Going to church is not serving God. That's, that's just worshiping God. Not, I mean, not just worshiping God. It's a big deal that we worship God. But it's not, ser- you don't serve God by going to church. We come together and we do community and we do life together and we, we, we submit to his word and we sing praises to his name. We lift him high. We worship him. You serve God in other ways. This is not serving God. 
Stop attending and start belonging. Start belonging. Again, get involved in a group of some way. Get in a discipling relationship with somebody. Get in some, on one of our service teams and start serving together with them. When you serve together with other people, you, you get to know them. You start, you know, as you're serving, you hear about what's going on in their life. You lift each other up in prayer. You encourage each other. It's, it's a good thing. We have a beautiful, beautiful congregate, congregation that you can belong to. That you can belong to. And it's not because we're small, by the way. I hate that. I want to punch people in the throat when I hear that. It's not because we're small. Like if you came here and you said, uh, I, I had to leave my other church because it was getting too big. Well, you're not going to be happy here very long either. You're not going to be happy here very long. Belonging has nothing to do about size of church. Belonging has to do with you positioning yourself within that church to belong. There are huge Huge at Christmas time, we were down in Southern California and uh, attended the Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, which is it's a monster church. I mean, it's just it's it's like a college campus. It's huge, huge. I mean, there I don't know, there are twenty twenty five thousand people in attendance or something like that. It's just a mammoth church. But in that huge, huge city sized church, there are also thousands of small groups where people dive in, get to know other people, and find that sense of belongings. There are also thousands of service opportunities where people rub shoulders, link arms with other people, and serve Christ together. It's still a church, even though it's big, that people can easily belong to. And we're a church here that you can easily belong to, but that has to do with you positioning yourself to belong. Position yourself to belong. Position yourself for for growth and for maturity. This is what the leadership wants for you. We're not interested so much in just how many. I mean, we keep track of attendance. It helps us plan things and that sort of thing. But we're much less concerned with attendance than we are with how many people are actually belonging. You know what number we keep track of that I love? Every week we keep track of how many people volunteered. How many people are serving? that's That's a whole different metric. It's a whole different thing. My point is this. Stop attending, start belonging. Stop attending, start belonging. Bow your heads for just a second. I just want you right now to ask yourself this question. um, Am I attending or am I belonging? Have I just been kind of going through the motions here, um, showing up, hearing a good message, listening to good music? attending church or or am I a living hoper? Do I belong to this church? And if you if you can honestly say, you know, I don't think I do belong, I think I am just attending. I, I use urgent language because it yours is an urgent case. I don't want you to hit that expiration date on your faith. I don't want you to burn out and kind of go away. I want us to be there with you to help you continue to grow and mature in your faith. That's what you want for you. That's why you're here. That's why you, you made an effort and, you know, to come today. Because something down deep inside of you, you want to grow in your faith. 
So position yourself for that growth. Stop isolating yourself. Get involved with the lives of other people in this church. And really just dive in and belong. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you that um, in your hour of crisis, um, we were the ones that were on your mind. And so, Father, right now I pray, I pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago, and I ask you to make us one even as you are one. Bring unity, a greater sense of unity to us as your church. Help us to do life together and to serve together, to be on mission together. God, help us to stop being attendees and to start being a people who belong to this beautiful church family. God, for those in the room that know they're, they are kind of just falling into that attending category, they're, they're not yet quite belonging. Um, I pray that you would just kind of put a fire in their belly to, to belong, to know and be known here, to not just kind of shuffle in and out as quickly as they can, God, but instead to have a church family that feels exactly like that, a family. Grow us closer to you, mature us more in our walk with you. Help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. Help us to help other people to be the men and women that you've called them to be. We love you and we give ourselves to you one more time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.